Just a real quick editor's note. We had a little technical difficulties. There are a few little spots where uh, the sound's a little off. I fixed what I could, cut out what I had to, but I just wanted to let you know up front that that was on our end. It's not your headphones malfunctioning or your car stereo or wherever you happen to be listening to this, but I just wanted to let you know that real quick. Welcome back to KillerCon, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And today, today, we're talking white collar. Oh, USA Network's part drama, part crime, part comedy, a little bit of a dramedy there that ran from 2009 to 2014. Had a good run. It did have a good run, especially for like USA yeah. yeah, I feel like, like they had like a heyday during that time frame, yeah. you know, several really good shows, but I think this was my favorite. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'd not seen this movie before. You had or not this seen. show. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you missed this. I, I, well, I don't either. I don't Kids know. were little, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2009, I had a pretty small baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. So okay. maybe, you know, maybe I just, it was not something that I kind of got into. That makes sense. Yeah. I think my youngest was like two, right, right. at that time. So, yeah. but I still really enjoyed this. I, I think it was one of those things that, um, you know, thanks to DVR, I was able to watch, maybe, right. you know, because yeah. you're right, having little kids. I think I was maybe it. more into Pretty Little Liars at that time, oh, and I couldn't, uh, yeah. I didn't have the time to add another one in, and I was unwilling to give up on that ride. And then, once I saw the very last episode, I kind of wish I'd given up on the ride. <laughs> you have said that before, and I have still it never seen this show. Awful. Don't bother. Don't bother. Because it was so good and so much fun, and the last season ruined it. Oh, I hate that. I ruined, hate that. Ruined it. I was so mad. You know, that seems to be something a lot of good shows do, though. They got, they're like we're in their corner right up until the very end. Uh huh. And, and then, then we're I'm like, like dead to me. I'm never, <laughs> never gonna watch it again. It's not a show that I'm gonna revisit. And I think I revisited it like waiting for the final season to come out. I went back and watched all the previous seasons, even though I knew it was gonna happen. And you know, you know what's coming. Anyway, this is about white collar. This is about white collar. (laughs) This is a good show. And it has such a good cast, and they're all beautiful. Yes, yes. A criminal avoids additional prison sentence by helping the FBI catch other similar criminals. Yeah. Ones who are not as smart. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Because Neil Caffrey is the smartest. Yes, he is. He is completely beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering which one of us was going to go there. Let's just take, you know, four seconds to just swoon over Neil Cavery. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because unlike Matt Bomber, Neil Caffrey is straight. Yeah. Matt Bomber, who the actor who plays him, is not. But I can still appreciate how beautiful he is and be so happy for him that he found a lovely 
partner. Yes, they've who, been married for a long time. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And they have kids at home, and they are surrounded just like all of us. <laughs> Matt Bomber just did an interview recently where he was talking about how he was surrounded, and you know, he just had that look on his face that all of us understand, like uh-huh. we are never alone. <laughs> the kids are always here. <laughs> And I was, I'm looking at him in his eyes going, I feel you, man. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. So, and the rest of the cast, very beautiful also. also Tim Decay. Oh. He's more like rugged handsome. Yeah. He plays Peter Burke. And I was trying to figure out where he looks so familiar from. So I was looking through his IMDb and he had lots of little parts. He had bit parts on Seinfeld and Friends. Yes, he did. He was Bizarro Jerry on Seinfeld, (laughs) which was awesome. Oh, good times. But uh, he, what I really recognized him from was HBO's Carnival. Is that where you recognize him from? So I haven't seen that. Oh, it's, there's only two seasons and I was so disappointed when they canceled it. Because it's weird and wild and scary and interesting. Hmm. It's, it's just, ooh, Wow. But he was Jonesy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I might have to try to revisit that at some point. Yeah. I've seen him in a lot of bit pieces over the years. You know, yeah. and sometimes he's the bad guy. Yeah. He actually plays a really good bad guy. Yeah. But I like this show. He plays a really good suit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like likable and funny and awkward and. But also randomly authoritative and, and kind of very beastly. smart. And very smart. He's a good match. Peter Burke is for Neil Caffrey. Yes. They didn't make him out to be not smart. Very often these shows will have your anti-hero person, the bad guy who's really your hero who you're rooting for, and yes. they make them so much smarter than the authorities. Yeah, and I don't like that. And then no. this time it's a it's a much better match. And I like how you're rooting for quote the bad guy, but in a way that you're hoping that he stays on the good side. Right. Like he's becoming a white hat. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you want him to be. You want him to do that. So you're always rooting for him. And I love how Agent Burke is also rooting for him. Yes. They create such a relational you know, plot line here mm-hmm. that I really, I really like that a lot. And it really starts well in this first episode. It does. We'll get there. Willie Garrison, who plays Mozzie. <gasps> oh, he is my favorite. I love him. I loved him as Stanford Blanche in Sex and the City. Mm-hmm. Loved him. He's and so I, good in this show. Oh, he's so good. He's so unusual and skeptical, but super lovable and really smart. This is the guy you want as your friend. Yeah. You yes. want this guy to be your friend. Like, he is awesome. He knows things. He just knows things. He just, yeah, he just knows things. He just knows things. He's just that guy. Uh-huh. He's the spider. Of this whole thing. Yes. Right? Yes. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I like Sharif Atkins, who mm-hmm. plays uh, Agent Clinton Jones. He was uh, Michael Gallant in ER, which I loved. <laughs> and I'm afraid to go back and rewatch ER because I'm afraid it won't live up to my memory. Oh. Uh, you know, it, I get that. I get that. But it's probably only because of the quality of the production. Right. Probably the show still stands. 
You oh, know? well, and see, and I could forgive quality issues, but... Uh, you think the I'm, plot isn't going to like be as good? I'm afraid that, I, you know, when you're not... Like looking forward to it in that anticipation of a little soap opera y because it had this continuing story going along, which is really the reason why you watch it. Yeah, I'm I mean, knowing it. Maybe your, there's not enough entertainment in the meantime. Right. There's enough, there, you know, there's episodic things that happen, but really people watched it for however long it was on, 15 years or whatever, because. Mm-hmm. They fell in love with the characters and wanted to see where things were going. Right. Well, and as long as their interactions are still entertaining to watch. Right. Like, I think of some old show, for instance, obviously, Golda Girls. Right. I know every line. Yeah. But they are still so entertaining to watch how they interact that you could just go back and, and we'll be, like, in bed, okay, my husband and I, and it'll be on, because this is what I go to sleep to a lot right. most of the time. Yeah. Um, and we'll be half asleep and something will happen and you'll have both of us in our sleep kind of going, because. <laughs> <laughs> It's so funny, you know, like Blanche just being so mad, eat trash and die, you know, yes. like, oh God, Blanche, or picture it, Sicily. Sicily. Yeah. <laughs> I have to, I have to correct it. My Golden Girls fans are going to get so mad at me. Oh. All right. So I have to say this the right way. Say it the right way. Did I screw it up? No, I no. I screwed it up. I said it wrong. So like when Blanche says, eat dirt and die trash. Oh, okay. So funny, right? Yeah. Hilarious. Oh, just a sharp tongue. Oh, yeah. And we had uh, Marissa Thomason was Agent Diana Berrigan. She was awesome. She did not have a place for Neil Caffrey on her dance card. Nope. <laughs> she did not. She was in Lost and NCIS Los Angeles. So yeah. I was like, oh, Lost is one of those shows that I kind of want to watch, too, that I have never seen. <gasps> I've never seen Lost. And I... But... People were so upset about the way it ended, and I kind of, I'm a little worried it's going to be like a pretty little liar situation. Uh, People were kind of divided over it, though, I think. okay. Uh, We started it again, but the kids, like, uh, yeah, it's built not for binging. Okay. It's built for the weekly anticipation, that's for sure. Okay. Because I feel like, actually, when we tried to binge more of it, it did move a little too fast in some ways and too slow in other ways, and I could see how the week in between made that feel like it was paced really well, except on Netflix or wherever we were watching it, it was like, ah, it does feel like the pacing feels a little off. Whereas something like White Collar... I don't know why, but the pacing just feels so good. It really does. It's good stuff. All right. So can I recap the first two episodes in five minutes? I think you can. I think I think I can because I'm not going to go too terribly in depth. Okay. All right. So, do it. I'm going to count you down. I'm going to go right. five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Are you ready? Five, four, three, two, one. All right. A very handsome man. Neil Caffrey is convicted of bond forgery and suspected of a litany of other offenses. He cleverly escapes from prison. An FBI agent, Peter Burke, is struggling with a bungled opening of a safe that results in destroyed evidence. And then he gets more bad news. Neil Caffrey escaped with just three months remaining of a four-year prison sentence. Burke caught Caffrey initially... And that is why he is called in. So Bert traces Caffrey's steps and we see just how clever the escape actually is. Burke 
finds Caffrey at an apartment that he shared with his girlfriend, Kate. And Caffrey makes some shrewd observations about a fiber on Burke's suit. And uh, they kind of figure out that uh, Neil Caffrey is going to be very, very helpful in catching other white collar criminals. So Burke makes arrangements for Caffrey and Caffrey agrees to work with the FBI while wearing a GPS anklet that is tamper and escape proof. Burke gets Caffrey lodging at a halfway house, but he has a two mile radius to which he immediately finds a new place to live uh, with a wealthy widower named June who knows all about his history and is totally fine with it. So this unlikely pair track down the Dutchman who is their uh, target uh, with smarts, a bit of luck, and some help from other agents, Diana and Clinton, who we just mentioned, and uh, an unusual friend, Mozzie. And we also are introduced to Burke's wife, and which is a through plot of their relationship, as well as Caffrey looking into the whereabouts of the woman he loves, Kate. Nicely done. Nicely go. done. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good pilot, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was and, really and the first episode. Like, yeah. well, I say pilot well, in first episode, it was but really... the pilot was good enough to be the first episode. Sometimes that's not the case, right? In this case, the pilot really is episode one, right? Yes, and like episode one and two are the self-contained story that sets up through plots and different things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to mention, Burke's wife is played by. Tiffany Amethyson. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah, she was Kelly. On my, yes. Oh. <laughs> and she's great. I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> she's just great. She is. She's adorable. Uh-huh. And yeah, I just yeah. love that. Very winning in this. She's yes. so sweet, but still smart. And a little sassy. And she's a real woman. Like, it's just, yeah. I don't know, something about her. It's just great. Right. Yes. So I really appreciated that the Dutchman was really only these two initial episodes and that they weren't like trying to draw it out into the season long arc. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a procedural show. So right. you have, you know, some episodes that kind of have a through line with a, with a suspect, um, you know, and, and all of that, but you do get that easy pacing of a procedural. So you can kind of just jump in. Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was a little bit like, catch me if you can. Definitely thought of it, too, because it's the idea that we're going to use the the criminal who is actually a good guy. Right. And try to put him into this position where he can actually help somebody else. I absolutely thought the same thing, but I I liked how they distanced it enough. Yeah. The con men are not the same kind of con men. Right. No. I mean, still kind of white collar crime. Definitely. forgery and all that stuff. But. But Caffrey actually stole things and fenced them. Right. There was, I mean, he could forge, but he could also, yeah, he was a thief, really, in a lot of ways. And so even though he's white collar because he was caught on forgery, the dude knows how to, yeah, how to get something. Right. He really does. That's fair. Well, it has been well reviewed since it came on. So the Hollywood Reporter did a review in October of 2009. 
They said, this is a show so attuned to production design that prison cell interiors have low-hanging bare incandescent bulbs, all the better to smash in anger. And I was like, that's fair. So some of it is a little, like, cheesy and silly, but that's part of what makes it fun. It's escapism. It's not something like meaty to dig into right no they keep it light fun show yes yeah they i mean there's some serious stuff going on but they keep it light there's always the comedy pacing in it where they sprinkle those moments very very good i think that's what i liked about it yes and that's also what this reviewer liked about it was how funny and what good chemistry the cast had which i really appreciated yeah of course I have to differ. I think some of the production design is great. Oh, yes. Because how, well, how can you not have good production design when half of your shots are just in New York City, basically? Like, that makes it so much easier. But I thought some of it, because they are talking about art, they are talking about some of those things. I thought the way that they included it in a lot of this. They're taking a little creative license. It's it's entertainment and enjoyable, and it Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be... Like June's house oh my is like gosh, it's a, like beyond his like little rooftop apartment uh, with his rooftop patio. Uh, it's beautiful. It's right. not at all real, but I mean, I love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a little bit of escapism in that yes. way. Yeah. Yes. Can I just mention the gorgeous big mirror that they have in there? Yeah. That lanes against the wall, and I'm like, I love it. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Medium did a review after the show wrapped in 2017 and they also really like it. They said it's a must see and stands high above its competitor shows such as NCIS bones or even CSI. I agree. Although I would take NCIS out because I feel like that's pretty comparable. (laughs) I am a big NCIS fan. I think there's a lot of comedy in NCIS. I don't know, but it's also a little heavier. Right. It's, it's, well, not a little. There are much heavier points in NCIS. Right. I think. Yes. Because they're not just dealing with these lighter sort of crimes. Not to say that these crimes aren't serious and that they should not be prosecuted. I really believe that white collar crime is under prosecuted in a lot of cases that we're over prosecuting things that matter much less and are much less of an issue in Mm -hmm. people's lives. Yep. Agreed. But that is neither here nor there. Have you been missing white collars since it went off the air in 2016? Yeah. There's potentially good news. What? That in May, (gasps) Matt Bomber confirmed that he's in talks to try and bring the drama back. No! (gasps) That's like an early birthday present. I don't even know what to do with this. You gotta be kidding me. (gasps) That he and the creator of the show are both on board and would like to bring it back. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Such a good show. So that was just in May of this year, 2020, that they were talking about this. So it's a recent development. I'm I'm ecstatic. Yeah. I'm ecstatic. Oh, good. Well, good. Yay. Well, then uh, hold on to your ecstasy and bring it back. Okay. For Is It True? Right is after this. Is it true? Quick break. Hello and welcome to the History Obscura podcast. This is the place where history's forgotten secrets are unshelved from my vast, 
firelit book repository and reintroduce to the world. Learn stories of space exploration, medieval royals, smugglers, martyrs, and monsters. Subscribe to History Obscura for a fresh tale every Saturday and Tuesday night. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. We're back and with Is It True? I can't wait to find out kind of like what they based this on a little bit and what might be true and happening. Like, are there people as suave and smooth as Matt Bomber? Nobody's really as smooth and suave as Neil Caffrey. I should say Neil Caffrey. (laughs) I'm just kind of obsessed with Matt Bomber. (laughs) White collar crime is, of course, a thing. A thing. And the FBI does chase them down. Now, this show tends to deal a lot with forgery and art theft and because it's all very pretty. It's pretty. It's pretty and it's interesting and it's fun and it's interesting to think about the people who are making the art that's forged and yeah. all of that. That's not really most of the white collar crime that the FBI is I would chasing. assume it's probably much more boring. Uh, yeah. So corporate fraud. Ugh. <laughs> that's a never-ending cycle. Uh, yeah, that's one of the FBI's highest priorities. So because in addition to causing significant financial losses for people, corporate fraud has the potential to cause immeasurable damage to the U.S. economy and investor confidence. Yeah, so I, I could see that for sure. Right. I mean, it's really about making sure that the people who are investing in these companies or utilizing the company's services have confidence in the services that they're getting or the investments they're making to make sure that everybody's it's all on the up and up. Oh yeah, this has to be this has to be looked at because this is how free market can actually thrive. Right. Without a check on corruption and crime within the free market, it's really not a free market. Right. It becomes a market of extortion and bribery. And that's not that's not good for anybody. No. Except for maybe like a couple the mob. people. Yeah, maybe the mob. <laughs> <laughs> the mob. The mob. The guys in Fear City. Yeah, it was good for go. them. The wise guys. <laughs> Money laundering. Is a big one. I mean, this is how they catch like drug dealers and stuff like that is because they're laundering money. I guess all I could think was uh, an office space where they had to like look up money laundering. (laughs) (laughs) And then they they capture the dictionary. And then they capture that guy who said he was a druggie, you know, and like trying to make him see it. Like, tell us about money laundering. You're in drugs. He's like, no, I'm a, I used to be a programmer. <laughs> I was you guys six months ago. All right. If you, if you listeners are wondering why we're digressing into a thing on office space, we have an episode on that. So you can just go and listen to that episode and then come back to this, but you'll know why we're laughing. If you haven't yes. listened to that episode, go listen to it. Yes. And then there's securities and commodities fraud, which sounds Awfully boring, but includes a whole bunch of, it's like a big umbrella for other kinds of crimes that you are more interesting and uh, you're more familiar with. So like investment fraud, eh, 
But also Ponzi schemes. Oh, yeah. Pyramid schemes. <laughs> uh, prime bank investment and trading fraud. Ooh. So all those subprime mortgages. Oh. All of that stuff is part of that. Which in the show, I will say, in subsequent episodes, they do deal with a little bit of that. Okay. But somehow it always intersects with somebody who has art and pretty things and uh-huh. something else. But there are a few of those sort of episodes. So I think right. in the series, they, they sort of bring in a little bit of this reality, mm-hmm. just enough to support why we get to watch Neil Caffrey paint something. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. Or make vintage wine. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Whatever. Exactly. All right. So at the very beginning, when Neil Caffrey is in prison, I was like, he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. Orange and jumpsuit. And I thought that orange was like the jumpsuit that you're assigned when you first get to prison. But... Oh, evidently that's not the case and hasn't been since like the mid nineties because this article from the Hartford current is from 1995, but it was salient because the prisons started using color coded outfits to identify people quickly and easily. Oh, like the like different cell blocks and different D- different cell blocks or their what level of security they needed. So orange is very often used as a high security prisoner because they're easy to spot. So they might be orange or bright yellow or something like that. Well, that makes sense for Caffrey though because he's a high risk. <laughs> well, exactly, he was high risk and he's also that makes them much easier to spot. So that's pretty interesting and then <laughs> in Alabama in the mid 90s, they started using it as uh, additional punishment. Oh, to wear the orange jumpsuit. No, no, to wear pink jumpsuits. It was a punishment to wear a pink jumpsuit. Yes, because they were having a really hard time getting these particular inmates to follow their policies. Okay. Like they were, they'd pull down their pants to female staff members and things like that. And it was, you know, basically sexual assault of the female guards Mm -hmm. in the prison. And... They wouldn't stop. They started taking pictures of them, sent it to their moms, and that (laughs) still didn't help. But what helped was putting them in bright pink jumpsuits all the time. So they were always identified as somebody who couldn't keep his penis in his pants. (laughs) Even when their families and their girlfriends showed up for visitation... And and they made sure that all those visitors knew exactly what it meant. (laughs) So maybe mom didn't care, but his girlfriend cared. His girlfriend cared. Yeah, I bet. That's pretty funny. You know, my my mom is from a very small town in Georgia. And my dad and I were rolling through one time. And we saw some guys out. And uh, they were just, I don't know, they were picking up. Not picking up trash on the side of the road. They were, like, in the town square, and they were, like, behind a business, and they were doing something with the, with the garbage can, and I don't know. But, like, they had the hat on and, the, and, and like, the shirt that buttoned up and the pants in the black and white stripes. Oh. 
There like you go. full on black and yeah, white stripes like, and the cap. like old movie style. Yes. Yeah. But it's also the same one they make you wear when you do the charity stuff. Like the um, whole I'm in jail and I'm going to do this until you donate enough and then I will vote. You remember right. that? Yes. And they might put you in the thing and then when people donate, like you you do charity at the same time and then when you raise enough money, you're done with your shift or whatever. And so you're like, the thing is you're in jail and you got to bail them out, right? Right. Um, and that all, and I was like, is that what they're doing? Because they weren't doing anything like public. It was all behind a business. It was all like, they looked like, you know, just normal guys. Yeah. Like who worked there, you know, like, like, like these, 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 I don't know, outfits were bright. They looked like they opened them right out of the spirit Halloween <laughs> costume. Like they just, and dad was like, mm, Monroe, that's what they wear. Really? The hat too? Yep. And I was like, that is so funny. They're yeah. straight up in black and white stripes and a hat too. That's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it makes them hard to miss. Oh, it was hard to miss that. <laughs> yeah. Even though they looked like totally normal people. Like, hard to miss. Mm-hmm. So the Canadian $100 bill? Yeah. Yeah, it really does have security features. Though I couldn't find anything that specifically mentioned fibers, like what Caffrey found on Burke's shoulder. There was like a red iridescent fiber. Yeah. And I think there are some fibers in that, but they're not red like that. Yeah. But they're actually not made of paper. Oh, what? what, what? No, no. They're made of a durable polymer. Polymer. So ours yeah. is a cloth. Ours is like a, yeah. Cloth like that a, feels like paper, but right. it's not paper. Right. It's really cloth. Mm-hmm. And theirs, they started making out of basically plastic. Polymer. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> which I did read can cause some issues because sometimes the 50s and $100 bills will shrink a little bit hmm. because of the polymer. Oh, and so <laughs> they, they can look... Yeah. Fake. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's why they have to have a different kind of security thing. Well, they have really cool, like, transparent windows that make them really difficult to forge. So hmm. one is in the shape of a, what's the leaf? Maple leaf? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the leaf from the tree. It's the kind of tree. The maple leaf. <laughs> and it's got, like, a hologram sort of situation. Boy, that would be like hard to forge. And then they've got one that runs the full length of the bill, like vertically. Wow. What do they feel like, like, I wonder? I don't know. I want to try it. A little slick. I don't know. I know that ours has like a thread in it that's iridescent. Right. It's got writing on it. So if you look at it a certain Mm -hmm. way, you can see the writing or something like that. I don't know. But... Interesting. Yeah, Caffrey and his, like, eagle eye to be like, hmm, mm-hmm. this is a special new fiber that's not released from an upcoming blah, 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 you know, suspend your belief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Suspend your belief. I st- I'm definitely going to have to get my hands on a polymer I know. piece of paper. The like, last time I was in Canada, it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I had a bit of money. I no, had all card. Not. Yeah. I just mm-hmm. ran my card. I mean, shoot, it was... I don't. I didn't even have cash. Right. Right. I mean, that makes sense. But because then you got to deal with conversion and all that. Your credit card company will do all that for you. Exactly, and it's no big deal. But the next time I go, I'm getting me some cash. Cause that's interesting. 
Next time you're in an airport, you could probably do it. Yeah, probably so. You don't even have to be going to Canada. That's true. Just hit up the exchange. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. We used to do exchange in Korea all the time because we had to pay our rent in cash. Oh, And so I'd have to go withdraw money and then go exchange it into the Korean bills, which of which they didn't have larger bills like we do. Oh, so you leave with a giant stack of cash? I mean, giant. (laughs) Like two handfuls of cash. I mean, it was like... You have to, I carry my big bag with me, uh-huh. you know, because I'd have to stuff it in there or take up the whole daggum bag. But if I just walked out of the exchange with my giant, like, grocery oh, bag of money. Yeah, you're just asking to get mugged. Yeah, I felt like I was, like, just a, a cartoon character with my big bag of money. <laughs> you needed a satchel with a dollar sign yes. on it. <laughs> yes, exactly. The wand sign on it. Yeah. Seriously, it was ridiculous, but. So, GPS anklets. For tracking criminals was a thing, but kind of a new thing in 2009. Yeah, they made it seem like it was like a really established, like they could just track them anywhere. And I was like, for real? This was pretty new. In 2009, I found an article from a website called RMT from June of 2009. Because I thought, I want to read an article from about the time they were writing this, doing this, that talks about it. And they said real-time tracking of criminals at that time cost 10 to $12 a day, which seems like a lot of money until you compare that them staying in jail costs about $100 a day. Yeah, that makes much better sense. Right, it makes much better sense. Though they did say that it only cost them $700 a month to keep Neil Caffrey in his maximum security prison. And that's why he had such a small budget for the place he could stay in New York. That's right. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, that makes sense. He had like a $700 budget for his rent. Right, because that's how much it would have cost them to keep him in prison. And I'm like, "Mm, for a week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you just suspend your disbelief a little bit. It made it entertaining and silly and fun. So in 2009, they were trying to figure out, you know, how much benefit would this really be? And they thought it would be a lot of benefit because there was a lot of prison overcrowding. So this meant that they could free up the space and that it would allow officers to monitor criminals from a distance rather than always having to have them come in, which is true. Um, And they were really excited to see how real-time GPS trackers were going to reform the system. We're going to swing back around to this in a little bit. Oh, okay. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Hold on to that thought. (laughs) I'm excited, though. All right, okay. So a fair portion of the Dutchman storyline was the import of these books from Spain. Blanca Nieves y las siete enanos. Snow White and the Seven Little Men. The Spanish Victory Bonds. Yes, okay. The whole reason for the books. That they needed. They were books from like the 1940s. And they realized that they needed the page that is on the inside cover and the front of the book that was a blank to be the right kind of paper to make these bonds. Right. They needed that era paper. Forge the bonds and have them be believable. Yeah, those bonds 
they were invented for the show. They're not oh, real. Okay. Yeah. I actually feel better about that. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel better about that. That's good. All okay, right. Good. I feel yeah. like they should make up a little bit of extra and not always kind of base it on exactly something true. Because sometimes I feel like you're giving people ideas <laughs> and you're telling them exactly how to do it. So, all right. Right. Yeah. Those, that is a no, good idea, though. Are, I mean, that whole idea of getting the old books. Yes. Like, yes. the next time I see a whole lot of books on dead stock on Etsy or something, I'm going to be like, really? What can I forge with the paper in those books? Exactly. I mean, it's just a kind of an idea. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of weird. What can I do with those books? How yeah. Can I, how how can much I... easier would Etsy make Neil Caffrey's life? Okay, so even if those those particular bonds are fictional... Could real bonds have accrued that much interest to make them worth a quarter of a million dollars each? Yeah, that, I don't. That I don't know, right? You know, I, I do. You know, <laughs> but I want to know. I uh, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> so Bummer. this is old <laughs> from Bankrate. Uh, the Dollar Diva Dorothy Rossin answered a question in two thousand one about this. So it's old, but it's totally. Salient. So this guy wrote in, said he had 12 bonds from 1941 with a base value of $1,000 each. And he was like, how much are these worth? Are they, is it worth cashing them in? Or will he even honor them? Well, yes, they'll honor them. Okay. Because they're war bonds. That was kind of the thing. But they stopped accruing interest. 40 years after their issue. Okay. Yeah. So, so they've been most, sitting there. Most of them, they mature. At a point. At a point. So 5, 10, 25 years, whatever. Mm-hmm. They mature at a point and then maybe they'll accrue a little bit of interest, but not much. And you cash them in. I mean, that's basically what But what about are. the worth of it being... An an art an antique, I yes. guess, is the right word. I mean, you know, like there's certain coins, right, that are worth so much money. So, like, what if you had this war bond that was sort of rare? So theoretically, yes, okay. that that could make them more value. But if you're looking at them from face value, which is what they were doing in the show, in the show is they were going to cash them in. It, we've found these bonds that were thought to be lost, and now they've accrued interest to the point where they're worth a quarter of a million dollars each. No, no, no. They stopped accruing interest in 1981. Okay. That's like a Golden Girls episode. How many times have I mentioned the Golden Girls today? Because Rose is going to have a yard sale and Blanche is like, no, 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 no. Get your velvet poker playing dogs off my lawn. Like, And so Rose sells her entire lot of crap, crapola in a box, she says, uh, to to Blanche for like $50. And then Blanche finds war bonds from St. Olaf. Uh Uh-huh. And then tries to cash them, and then it's going to bankrupt St. Olaf and all a big thing. So Blanche lets it go and says, no, you don't have to do that. And then St. Olaf is going to spend $10,000 to build a statue for her, saving the town. And Blanche is like, but how can you build Uh if my bond was $10,000? And uh, what? And, well, that's St. Olaf. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Those bonds that this guy had were worth... Not an insignificant amount of money. The $1,000 yeah. bonds were still worth, if you're going to cash them in, 
$3,600 each. They had accrued quite a bit of interest. Right. So... If you had a bunch of those, that's still a good amount of money. Right. Exactly. But you have to worry about the tax implications. Oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, Caffrey understood exigent circumstance because Burke gave him a book on warrants to help him understand what he could actually do and what he couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was kind of fun. And they basically got it right, though they call it a knock and announce warrant. Mm-hmm. Announce they're coming in and then come in, which I think we learned from Brianna Taylor. This is a fraught situation. It can be very difficult. So I'm just going to set that aside and say that it is a real thing and that they used it very cleverly in the show. Yes, yes, they did. All right, psychology break. Psychology break. So is it for love or money? It's the existential question for all types of artists. True. Particularly art forgers. Yeah, that is such an interesting thing because he is so talented in this show. You're like, you know, you could just, I don't know, do Be art. an artist. Yeah. But he doesn't have any original. He can only copy. Right. That's a different kind of talent than somebody who can see it in their own mind and produce it. Mm-hmm. But I'm still kind of like, what a talent. I can't do that. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Very, very talented. So in December of 2017, the Lantern Theater put on a play called The Craftsman, and they had a really interesting article about the kind of the psychology behind it. A little weird of a source for psychology stuff, but... (laughs) There's a lot of psychology happening on a play, in a play, though. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. And they talked about how a lot of art forgers aren't really seeking to avoid being caught. As so much, they're kind of courting being caught. That is a great description. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really astute. It can be a very lucrative business <laughs> to forge art and sell it as original it's relatively easy ish ish not i mean you still have to have a lot of talent but it's yeah it can be difficult to tell forgeries from actual art but it's pretty lonely because here you are this talented artist who can forge lovely expensive valuable art But you don't get any credit for it. You don't get credit for it. It's an internal satisfaction. And it makes me think of that musical that I'm having trouble thinking of. Wait, I can do anything better than you. Is it Annie? Uh, Get your gun? Something? Uh, I think it's Annie, get your gun. It's Annie, get your gun, right? And she goes, I can do anything better better than than you, right? And her whole thing is, whatever you can do, I can do. Uh And there's like a little weird satisfaction in knowing that there's nobody out there that is doing something that you can't do also. It's just, I don't know, something about it. So I feel like Neil Caffrey's character is the same way. Like, he can take a painting or mm-hmm. a bottle of wine, and he can make it just the same so that somebody can't tell the difference. And it's like, hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a, compa- it's like bullying. A little bit, yeah. It's like bullying, because you're actually trying to use comparison to make yourself feel better. But in this case... They do it in a passive-aggressive way. Right. Well, and most art forgers started out as people who were trying to pursue art legitimately 
and were unable to find success. See, and that's a very different storyline than, say, somebody like Neil Caffrey. Right. Who is in it because... Be- for the money. For the money so, and for the, for the thrill. Right. Yes. Because he doesn't just forge art. I don't. What is it about that that is so intriguing? This pickpocket kind of suave, like I can do anything. They they just have control over the whole world. Right, right. Oh, I think that's it. He just seems like he's. It's a powerful sort of situation. The world really is his oyster. Like he can just do whatever he wants. Right. Live however he wants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we we kind of. I don't know, covet a little bit. Uh, so there are a lot of forgers who, once they're caught, don't mind the attention so much. Mm, I can imagine that. <laughs> so, for example, uh, there was a man named Tom Keating who was known for putting time bombs in his forgeries. So he would write a message in lead on the canvas okay. and then paint over it. So when they used x-rays <gasps> they would see the message oh interesting uh-huh he would even do things like use modern pigments in period forgeries and uh then he did things called booby traps with his paintings so if somebody tried to restore a painting they would the glycerin that he used to booby trap it would ruin it completely. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So like not so worried about the getting caught. Like that's part of the thrill. I mean, why is that so fascinating? I, I don't know, but it really is an interesting way to look at it. And then there was Mark Landis who didn't care at all about using authentic materials for his forgeries. Okay. He'd go to Home Depot and buy like $6 paint. And then he would print out a very large digital print of a painting Mm -hmm. and just trace it. Oh, well, see, that's, I don't, I don't care about him. Oh, oh, but am I going to care about him? You might, because he didn't make any money off of his forgeries. Okay. He just created elaborate backstories and then donated them to museums. <laughs> see, see, I see him as more of a little criminal, though, because he's tracing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just feel like... But he didn't make any money off of it. I mean, he was just... It was like he was cosplaying. Well, yeah, but... It's I like don't know. Saying, I don't it's, care. it's like you go to Michael's and you buy the foam and form it to make your cosplay outfit. I mean, it's true, but there's something about somebody who has the ability to just look at it and copy it and do it and make it so real. I don't know. That's more fascinating than the whole like tracing it and and doing all of that. I feel like almost that more people could handle doing that. Well, yeah. But like the other one, there's such a high the, talent. I don't so, know. But the art wasn't the art. No. The art was the deception. Yeah. To donate works of art that right. were fake. Right. Yeah. That's, 
I don't know how I feel about that one. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm in love with that criminal as much as I am this one. I have a weird sense of hobby. I don't, okay, I guess. but apparently I'm not alone. So <laughs> that's really interesting, though. Mm-hmm. I, All right, real life, real life, famous white collar criminals. Yes, I just picked out a few we know. So Jeffrey Skilling, you'd be like, wait, Who? what? Enron. Oh, okay, Enron. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. And then, of course, you know, Bernie Madoff. Oh, yes. Yeah, Ponzi scheme, which I didn't realize that prior to 2008, Ponzi scheme wasn't really a term. It wasn't a widely known term. Yeah, I didn't really, I always thought that was I thought it was like old, but it's not, it's relatively new. Huh. Okay. Which is interesting. And then, you know, of course, Martha Stewart. Of course. Insider trading. Which, did you know it was only like $43,000 that she saved? <laughs> she oh. went to prison for five months because she sold stock to avoid like $40,000 in loss. Which is like twice my salary. But, well, but, but for her, I mean, why would you do that? In the grand scheme of things. She'd have made that back. Yeah. I mean, easy. Right. That's kind of, I mean, not like a substantial, I mean, a substantial amount of money, but not when you look at how much money Martha she really Stewart has. had. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. all she needed to do is come up with a new towel. Walmart would have just bought millions of them. Right, exactly. Yeah. Way more than $43,000. I know. Maybe don't worry about the little bit you lost. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's some psychology in that, but there I don't quite is. know what it is. All right. So I said we would talk about ankle monitors again. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So it seems like a really great humane way to allow people to finish out their sentence. Yeah, it kind of does. And that's what they thought was going to happen. Okay. Probably-ish when the show started. But now that we seem that uh, it isn't, hasn't turned out to be the freedom that a lot of people expected it to. Like, they expected it to really be kind of reform. Okay. But it's just turned out to be prison of a different kind. So Wired had a whole article in 2018 about how ankle monitors are just a different kind of jail. The use of electronic ankle monitors doubled between 2005 and 2015. Okay. Which makes sense. I would expect that. Because the technology increased. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it's much more restrictive than you would think it would be. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a guy named Dustin in Los Angeles who had an accident. He was on an ankle monitor. He cut his hand really bad. Okay. He went... To the hospital okay. because it was a serious enough situation that he needed to go to the ER. Okay. On his way to the ER, he called his parole officer to tell him. Okay. When he got to the ER, the police were waiting to take him into custody. Well, see, that's... Because they did not have a way to compensate... For that kind of issue. So, and they have not worked that in even still. Okay, so this is not an ankle monitor problem. This is a systems problem. This is an organizational problem. I would say 
almost all of this. This uh, is systems problem. See, and that's sad because the technology could be so useful. Right. It really could be useful. Super, super useful. See, in white collar, he had like what, like this two or three mile radius, but he lived in New York City. Everything's right. in a two mile radius. Right. Like, right. There's everything. all kinds of places he could go. All kinds of places he right. could go. Right. Um, but in, in other areas, Los Angeles, you yeah. might get out of the neighborhood. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Can you even get to the grocery store? I don't even know. Yeah. Can you get to the corner store? Can I you mean, buy milk? Right. Maybe not. Maybe not. Because, right. or if you live in the middle of Midwest or. And I would so, say a two mile radius is uh, an unusual situation. That's much further than they would allow. Really? A lot of people to That's go. house arrest, not ankle monitors. I mean, really, this that's is a systems hot. issue. Yeah. See, this is what bothers me about a lot of a lot of our current day issues is I feel like we have such opportunity and then we just we just squander it by being dumb and not creating systems. You know? Right. This would be like if Rockefeller was like, oh I have this great, great stuff and it could make light, but geez, they don't already own the lamps. So Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're not going to use it anymore. Yeah. Oh, I have this great runoff over here, this this stuff. But I know it could run an engine, but they haven't invented cars yet. So, oh, well. <laughs> what? I mean, this would be like, I mean, can you, thank God for Elon Musk. Can we just say he's the Rockefeller of our day? <laughs> yes. Right? Oh, Elon Musk needs to take up this situation right here. He'd be He'd be all in it. Well, I mean... There's a lot of money to be made in it. Literally. Okay. So, and a lot of uh, particularly poor areas, Mm -hmm. uh, the police department can't afford to pay for the ankle monitors. So the people who are wearing the ankle monitors end up paying for them. And that could be uh, anywhere from $5 to $25 a day in a cost for people. So they're... Fees can be more than their rent. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. That's an issue. They don't have good ways of dealing with skin irritations resulting from Mm -hmm. this. So if you have, you try and take it off or move it too much, you know, they can fuss with you. You It's too tight. I gained a little weight or it's too loose and it's rubbing. They don't have good ways of dealing with this, of, being able to make it more comfortable for people. See, that's sad. It is sad. Uh, you better not get sick either because you can't have an MRI, a mammogram, an x-ray, a CT scan. Uh, they Most states don't have clear policies for uh, dealing with removal in case of an emergency. I mean, I mean, this is systemic thing. Yeah, you would think that people would have thought about this before they unveiled it. So ones that aren't GPS tracked have hidden costs. You have to have a landline because you have to connect it to your phone line and upload your data (laughs) and it can get damaged or you lose the power cord for it. A damaged unit in Iowa is going to run you 800 bucks and a power cord is going to be 55 if you lose or damage that. So your I cat mean, chews through your power cord. Um, 50 yeah. bucks. Yeah. Not just a USB. You can't mm-hmm. just order this on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I mean, how easy would that be? Like, just make it a USB charger, right? Like, right. How ridiculous. I mean, we can track our kids better with 360. Right. I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. 
Uh, the most common reason people have issues with their ankle bracelets is because they lose contact with the service because the battery died. Uh-oh. So they're supposed to be able to hold a charge all day. Mm-hmm. A lot of them can't. Okay. They get old. And the, right, lose the, them. Yeah. And they they can't hold a charge all day. So that means then you got to go sit for... Then they take like two hours to charge. It's ridiculous. So there's an episode of Superstore. Okay. Where one of the employees, anyways, has an ankle monitor and has to go charge. So during a wedding... It starts beeping, and he's like, oh, it's supposed to be charged. Like, So then he's stuck in a closet for, like, yeah. hours yeah. with it plugged into yeah. the wall. Waiting because, for it to charge. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty legit, apparently. And, you know, what if there's a power outage? Yeah. You can't control that, but you can go back to jail for it. All right, so the Spanish victory bonds were fictional, but Francisco Goya was a real artist, oh, a I- real Spanish artist. He supposedly had artwork on these victory bonds. Though it's really unlikely that they probably would have put his particular artwork on these bonds because he was pretty anti-war. Now, he had (laughs) died a long time before the supposed bonds were made. He died in 1828, but he did a whole series of artwork, like over 80 pieces, 82 prints called The Disasters of War. Hmm. Yeah, where he basically had all of this talking about the ills of war. All of these prints were very Hmm. uh, anti-war. He thought it was awful. He was trying to bring light to it. They probably wouldn't have used Goya's artwork. Probably not then, huh? Probably not. War bonds are a real thing. Yes, they are. We talked about that. But they're also were something that they used artists and performers to help sell. I can imagine. Oh, yeah. 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 So for, for World War One, they had famous artists make posters, and then they used uh, people like Ethel Barrymore and Charlie Chaplin to make public appearances, encouraging people to buy war bonds. For World War Two, they used... Some Norman Rockwell paintings. Oh, yeah. Well, those are iconic. Yeah. Absolutely iconic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would know them. You would, you might think that they were just posters, but they're war bonds. Yeah. That was how they sold them. Advertising. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Art forgery is uh, evidently really common. A lot of experts are connoisseurs of a particular genre of art or particular artist and so they don't really rely on science so much as the ability to sense the hand of the artist in the work okay so (laughs) as such (laughs) in 2014 switzerland's fine art expert institute estimated that 50 percent of all artwork on the market, fake. What? 50%? Wow. Now they said, okay, so they released that and then they walked it back like immediately because people lost their ever loving minds oh, in yeah, the art I'm world. Sure. I'm sure. Uh, but 
even still. Can't very... put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> nope. So it just goes to show maybe don't spend a ton of money on art. It makes me like, think of cruises. How they always have the art gallery and the art shows, and they're always trying to convince you that it's a great way to like retire, to invest in this art that's going to be like you know, worth something more someday. And I wonder how much of that is straight up forgery of like these lesser known artists, you know, that and saturating the market and actually going to take the whole thing. I wonder, I mean, this is just a guess. I'm not like, I don't know things. Well, that's part of it. But that's, I think I think of it on cruise ships. It's just more like these people probably aren't ever going to be famous. Kind of like the, if you're ever up in the middle of the night and you see, the commemorative coins. Oh yeah, uh-huh. or plates. They say, "Avoid disappointment and future regret. Yes. Buy it now." That was my favorite thing. We quote that line <laughs> to each other, my husband and I, quite a lot. I'll be like, "You better do it. Avoid disappointment and future regret." It's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. But they're never going to be worth anything. No. no. They're, they're, what they're worth. The most they're ever worth is the $20 that you spent on it when you bought it. Yep. So just buy it if you like it. Exactly. Don't think that you're getting some easy retirement at it. Exactly. Same thing with art. Like, if buy it because you like it, because you think it's good. Or buy it because you think it's bad and you enjoy the bad. Yeah. Seriously. Like, I have like a, oh, starry night kind of thing. It's like a, you know... A sidewalk piece of art where right. an artist has copied it. It's obviously a copy, right? It's right. not exact, but it's pretty close. It's in the styling. It's definitely art student style. Right. I love that one. And yeah. you know what? It's in my house and it's a real painting. Right. It's not a print. And, and you know what? I love it. Yeah. And it's totally fun. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody stole it from your house, well, you'd be sad because I you would. love it, but you wouldn't be out, you know. Eight million bucks. No, it's not like I think that it's the real thing either. Right. You know, but I can, I mean, that's a little famous, right? Exactly. That's a little too famous. But I would say like, just buy it because you like it. Exactly. Yeah, it might end up being some, worth something someday. Right. But I, I don't that's know. That's not why you buy it. I feel like, I yeah. mean, I'm all for investing, but. Right. So there's a whole bunch of really good stories, but, and I'm not going to go through all those. Because it's been a while. <laughs> but if you want to find them, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, or you can send us an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening today. We know you make a choice when you listen to us. And next time we have some really fun, exciting things we're going to do. We're going to do a whole week of leading up to Halloween. A special, very bingeable release every day. Yes. A bunch of shorter shows. Right. On the iconic Halloween genre of film. Killers and masters of deceit and monsters and all of those mm-hmm. things. So every day we're going to we're going to drop a pod. Right. For for every day, but we're going to drop it all at once so you can binge it if you want. That's right. Or you can listen to a 15, 20 minute pod every day, the week of Halloween. And we're going to kick it off with something special, right? That's right. We're going to do live, a live episode 
Monday night, October 26th. Yep. We're going to do a live episode. Join us. It's going to be super, super fun. I'll make sure I put that on the socials so that you're, you don't forget. Yeah. I can't believe Halloween's around the corner. I You've got know. to join us and have fun with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So thanks again. Do rate and review. Tell a friend because it's way more fun when you listen to a friend. And until next time, be safe, be kind, and wash your hands. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum. Da-da-da-da.